Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 47. Well, hello, hello, my beautiful community of listeners. It's so great to be back with you again this week on the podcast. I have to say I'm absolutely loving being here with you every single week. And if you're enjoying the show, I'd be so grateful if you'd take just a minute to leave a review so that more people can find this podcast. You know, your reviews are the most important thing that will help grow this show so that more people find it. So if you haven't already, please hit pause on the podcast and hit the link in the show notes to take just a minute to leave a five-star review with a few thoughts about how the podcast has helped you. Okay, so back to today's episode. Let's continue on the journey of exploring energy as medicine. In this episode, I talk with my teacher, mentor, and dear friend, Dr. Indu Arora, about marma therapy, which is an Ayurvedic practice of using the marma points or acupoints to keep the channels of energy open and flowing through the human system. Dr. Indu Arora is an Ayurveda and yoga therapist who, as you'll hear in the episode, considers herself a student for lifetime before all else. The thing is, she's been teaching yoga philosophy, yoga therapy, and Ayurveda for over two decades, since 1999. And so although she considers herself a student, she is a gifted, gifted teacher. She studied both yoga and Ayurveda in India in a traditional Guru Parampara setting. Her teaching style is rooted in empowering and inspiring students to awaken their inner guru. Her core philosophy is nothing has the greatest power to heal but the self. And this is an idea that I so resonate with. Indu is also an international speaker and teacher and is also the author of three books, including her most recent, Yoga, Ancient Heritage, Tomorrow's Vision. In our conversation, Indu shares her journey of discovering yoga and Ayurveda as a teenager in India and how it set her upon her life path of teaching both Ayurveda and yoga. We talk about the energy body as the blueprint for the human body and how everything in the universe, in the microcosm and in the macrocosm, has marma points or junction points between consciousness and the physiology of the human system. Indu shares how to access the power of marma therapy in our everyday lives and also gives us some simple daily practices to do this. You know, this is a really special episode to me because Indu was one of my first teachers and mentors when I started my yoga therapy training so many years ago. And in addition, she's helped me personally with some of the most difficult challenges that I've been faced with in recent years. Since then, she's become a dear friend to me and an unconditional supporter of my work, for which I am so incredibly grateful. I am so deeply honored to share with you my conversation with Dr. Indu Arora about marma therapy and energy as medicine. Indu, it is such an honor to have you on my podcast. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you for having me, Avanti, and please accept my greetings, you as well as the listeners. 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, for the listeners, I want you to know that Indu and I met probably six or seven years ago when I was doing my yoga therapy training. And I have to tell you, I had an instant connection with her and I have actually looked to her as a mentor and a teacher. And so for me to be able to have this conversation on my podcast with you is really such an honor and such delight uh, because I learn so much from you all the time. And so I'm so excited to share your knowledge with everyone who listens to this podcast. So I'm really excited. (laughs) And we're going to talk about Marma therapy today because you are actually an expert in this area. And, you know, we're continuing in April talking about energy as medicine. And I thought that this would be a really great topic because I actually do get a lot of questions from people about the energy system, according to Ayurveda and yoga and the nadis and how does marma therapy work? And so I thought this would be a wonderful discussion to have so that people could understand it a little better and understand how it can help them on their healing journeys. But before we jump into marma therapy, I'd love to ask you a little bit about yourself. And, you know, I always start with asking questions about, you know, just Tell us about your childhood. I think there's so much to learn from teachers and mentors like you, because you go through so much in your own life that I think it's very, very helpful to listeners to hear about your journey. So if you could share anything about your childhood with us, that'd be wonderful. You know, there is so much. Once you start looking back, the memories of the life unfold, as well as some of those points which are, we can think of it as transformational points, which shifts you and change you and transform you at times effortlessly because we are ready. Mm -hmm. And at times with this tug of war, I am not ready in denial. And then it forces you to see this. But the one thing, whether you move to that through that point with effort or effortlessness is you're not the same person anymore. Mm -hmm. That something about you shifts and change. And I think that's the beauty of life. Uh, When you were introducing Avanti, you mentioned a word expert. I do not consider myself an expert. And that's what I would like to share as a part of my introduction. I'm Mm. simply a student of this subject. And if I can sincerely just stay a student throughout my life, I would consider that an achievement. It's it's so easy uh, to go to the other side and think as a as an expert, as a speaker, as a teacher, as a master teacher. Humbly to me, the truth is, I'm a student of the subject that is yoga, Ayurveda, and Tantra. And as far as I can go back to my childhood, I can see that one thing that stood out for me in myself is curiosity. Being born and brought up in a joint family where you have access to so many minds, so -hmm. many personalities, and so many experiences. I remember that right from my childhood, I used to have a journal in which I used to write down the recipes that my grandmother used to tell, or something that my uncle, my maternal, my paternal uncle used to share. So I think curiosity has been a constant thread in my life. So that seeking has always been there. And sometimes it became questioning, why this? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it became just a question, 
curiosity. So I think my journey has been from question to questioning to curiosity. And through this, I have met some amazing teachers who I would say that I have formed and stormed me along the way. And I personally feel that once you're open to the idea of forming and storming, of stirring and allowing that, you know, it allows you to transform and continuously become. So I, there is so much about childhood, but sure. these are the things that stay with me. Yeah, that's beautiful the way that you said that, that you are having questions and then also questioning and seeking. I love that way of looking at it. But let me ask you something maybe more specific. I've read a lot about you and I know you personally, so we've talked before, but if you could share a little bit about what was your journey to Ayurveda and yoga? Like, how did you get started upon this path? The seeds of this path were sown by my culture. Mm -hmm. Being born and brought up in an Indian family, traditional Indian family, I think I don't take this for granted because so many things that were naturally a part and parcel of life, I realized later on that that is higher education. Mm -hmm. Learning those simple things from my grandmother or those mantras, waking up to the sounds of those through my mother chanting and waking up to the sight of my father doing abhyanga and then doing headstand, shirshasan, and sitting in meditation. So I would say the seeds of yoga and Ayurveda were sown by my culture and with the privilege and the benefit of growing up in a joint family. But, you know, things which are naturally available to us, like sunlight, like moonlight, like these teachings, like the culture, like the family, we often take them for granted until and unless there is a spark that is lit inside. So I would say that that conscious spark was lit at the age of 16. Until then, there was passive learning that was happening. And I met a teacher who first introduced the concept of yoga, Ayurveda, and Tantra through mudra. So mudras became my entry point into yoga, Ayurveda, and Tantra. And from that point on, I met many teachers. And when I say many, I'm not talking about hundreds and thousands. I, I am talk, talking about someone I can count in my 10 fingers. That's it. You know, I think it's not about the number of teachers, but really every teacher becomes like someone who, through their own telescope, shows you a complete, completely different scenario, a completely different imagery. So then I met individual teachers of Ayurveda, Tantra, and Yoga who informed my life and my thinking process more so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really beautiful for you to say that. You know, I mean, I think what you said about it being higher education is so uh, poignant to say it that way, because I feel the same. You know, I often say I grew up with the privilege of growing up in a South Asian family here in the United States. And I didn't have as many people around me, just my mom and dad, because we didn't have all our relatives here. But I did grow up doing all of these things. You know, we just lived in this way. 
And unfortunately for me, I didn't ask a lot of questions when I was younger, but I did learn. And it wasn't until I was formally in my higher education in medicine, going for my, my MD, that I actually realized how much education I had received in healing, in the healing art of Ayurveda while I was growing up. So I love how you said that. I've never thought about it that way, but it quite honestly was my higher education that has led me down the path that I'm on now. So it's a really lovely way of thinking about it. Maybe the question is also, why do you think you were so drawn to then go down the path of making Ayurveda and yoga your life's work, right? Because it's one thing to grow up with all of this. There are many of us who have grown up with it, but what drew you to then study more deeply and then to open a school and to write books. I mean, you've done so many things in these subjects. I'm repaying my debt. Hmm. Repaying the debt to the wisdom. Repaying the debt to my teachers. Repaying the debt to my culture. When you taste something sweet, delicious, you don't just rejoice it within you. I feel it becomes a responsibility to share that, hey, try this. It is so delicious. It will, it might change your life. It might bring more harmony. So for me, <laughs> even though right now it sounds so effortless to say, but I remember that exact moment, Avanti and the listeners who are listening, at the age of 19 or 20, when I was saying bye to my teacher, whom I got the chance to live with as Guru Shishya Parampara, got the chance to live with her and study in person 24 by 7. And I mean literally because she was uh, leading about 10 classes every day, five days a week. And I got to participate in every single one of them. And after the classes uh, ended, we used to sit in hours of conversation until midnight and then wake up at four o'clock. And I spent like this six months with her where there was no sleep deprivation. You know, mm -hmm. you get at times you charge yourself through this perennial wisdom that you touch eternity. So it, it doesn't matter. It, 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 you don't feel deprived. So anyways, coming back to it, that after six months of spending time with her, suddenly, to me, suddenly, one day, my teacher and I were just sitting and she said, Yogsadna, that's the name under which you will start sharing. And those who, who, who may explore a little bit more, uh, you will see that the name of my website is still Yogsadna. Everything is operated under still Yogsadna and will be till my last breath. Uh, so she suddenly said, Yogsadna, that's the name. Your time here is done. Go and teach. And some of you um, listeners may not know this term, Guru Dakshina, but Guru Dakshina is an offering to the teacher, not just a teacher, someone more than a teacher, someone who doesn't teaches you about a technique, method, definition, someone who teaches you about life, mm -hmm. someone who also teaches uh, uh, teaches you as much about life, as much about let, letting go and death. I feel that is guru. So when you study from such a person, at least in the, in the traditional Guru Shishya Parampara in India, such a teacher can ask you, 
the dakshina, the offering anytime, and it could be anything. So there was no exchange of money between me and my teacher. The only thing was I offer my sincerity and dedication and she offers her lifetime or many lifetimes experiences. That was the exchange. And the mutual thread of was of trust. So she said, your time here is done. Go and teach. Now, my age at that time is 20. Mm. It's still considered teenage to some extent. Okay. Yes. And. You know, no matter how much your container, the vessel of your body and mind is understanding what you're receiving, yet you are still restricted by your biological age and your mental age. So I was completely shook that a giant, literally a giant is standing in front of me and telling me to go and teach? What do I know? How can I even open my mouth? I should not even uh, even be allowed to open my mouth because anything that I'm going to speak is not going to make sense <laughs> in comparison. <laughs> but in moments like this, you have no other choice but to surrender and show courage mm. because there is a debt on you. You have witnessed and received a certain teaching. In this moment, you don't matter. Your individual limitation doesn't matter. The way you look at yourself doesn't matter. You have a higher responsibility, and that is to share. So this journey began from that moment onwards. And it is, I'm 44 now. It's more than half my life. And it doesn't even matter this life, other lives, many lifetimes. It is, I will share whatever limited I have realized. To the best of my ability, with mm. pleasure, not with pressure, with pleasure. Mm, I love that with pleasure, not pressure, because I know that I, I sometimes struggle with that, you know, of, am I doing enough? Am I, you know, teaching enough? Am I helping enough people? It's, it's definitely something uh, that is always in the back of my mind. So I will, I'm taking notes of, of all of these things. You know, I have to tell you, Indu, you have given me some of the most important pieces of wisdom. And I'm going to get emotional saying this. From a few years ago, when I was uh, teaching at a yoga therapy conference that you invited me to come to. And I've told this story to a few friends, a few people know about this, but I'll share a little bit, you know, and I remember sitting at the end of the conference with you and we were just catching up with a you know cup of tea before I flew out and you were asking me how I was doing. And I shared a lot of things that were going on and the advice that you gave me after just listening to me 15 minutes for 15 minutes, holding my hand, hearing me as I cried, you literally changed my life. And so for that, I'll always be indebted to you. And so the sharing that you do is so transformative for other people. I want you to know that. And I, I carry that with me very, very deeply. So I just wanted to share that with you as I'm tearing up, but let's get to Marma therapy. So maybe we can start with, you know, what is Marma therapy? Can you explain what it is to the listeners? Yes. I'm trying to think, you know, at times we can give a technical definition. Mm-hmm. The thing about technical definition is it doesn't stick to you. <laughs> it has to be some real life example. Exactly. Listeners, just look around in your wherever you are sitting right now. And think of uh, the electricity. There might be some kind of electricity flowing. 
and some kind of light or conditioning temperature control you know that is happening that is either heating or cooling or maintaining a certain thermostat and there might be certain light maybe it is blue light maybe it is yellow light doesn't matter warm light what is the source of all of that that energy that is moving providing heating or cooling providing warmth and light or intensity of light the source of all of that is electricity right that electricity is flowing through wires and that electricity that is flowing through wires reaches a certain hub and you can change the nature of that electricity and you can turn them into turn that into the kind that changes the heat into cold or cold into heating or that can change that electricity into light or that can change it into sound you can change the you know those kind of dimmer switches mm-hmm. that you can up and down i i don't want to use dimmer here because you know dimmer means like as if you're dimming something think of it more as a rotary control where you can up and down mm-hmm. all of that is going to a major electricity hub where that particular even these tiny units of electricities are connected now i am not well i am the daughter of an electrical engineer so no wonder that that comes to my mind <laughs> but here's the deal we all know this aspect about electricity now connected for a moment the word for human being in sanskrit is prani comes from prana what is prana energy so what are we we are pranic beings beings of prana which means being of energy this is right there in the term that energy that at its core is a consciousness transforms into polarity positive negative you can think of as north and the south pole you can think of it as sympathetic parasympathetic you can think of it as prana and apana that same electricity goes through wires you can think of as a nervous system it goes through that which these nervous systems are called nadis the subtle nervous system you use this term avanti in the beginning mm-hmm. nadis the word nadi actually it comes from nadi nadi means river so river or steam stream of what river or stream of nada what is nada sound what is sound at its subtlest level energy so what is flowing through these subtle channels the electricity that is prana this subtle energy it starts to shift and change at a certain point that plug point that rotary point that toggle switch where you switch on and on it transformed at a, at a certain point and becomes physical the energy of the tissues which ayurveda is called sapt dhatus seven tissues the same energy electrical energy is now transforming into chemical energy is now transforming into thermogenic energy is now transforming into different kind of energies which in ayurveda is called prana tejas ojas the energy that simply flows the energy that carries intelligence the energy that with this force of cohesion moves along ojas is that glue that keeps it together tejas is the inner content of it that is intelligence that is consciousness so marma point now we are coming to marma point marma point are these toggle switches marma point are these rotary switches 
that is the calibration point of the electricity. What should we convert it into? Let's convert it into earth. Let's convert it into water. Let's convert it into vata, pitta, or kapha. These are the points from where you can dial in and calibrate the flow of the electrical energy into what, what will harmonize the body, what will harmonize the breath, what will harmonize the emotions. Everything that we do in yoga, asan, pranayam, breath practices, relaxation practices, even mantras, mudra practices, any practices, even in Ayurveda, the application of herbs, the application of oil on the body, the certain practices that you do in the morning or in the evening, the tongue scraping, applying oil in the nostril, every single thing becomes nourishment, communicates with the body, physical, mental, emotional, through the gateway and the interface called marma point. So marma point are the eyes of the subtle body on the physical body, the access points. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing how you just explained that. So it's the access points to all of this. Access points, calibration points, the point which is a bridge between the subtle and the physical. You can... You, there is there is more than one definition, but hold on to one. Because when we try to hold on to many, the mind mm -hmm. can get confused. Whichever sits in your mind and connects with where you are, hold on to that. But without murma points, the physicality of the physical body stays physical and we stay stuck in the physicality of the body. It is the murma point that is the bridge through which we transform physical into subtle. And through which the subtle reserve, the, the reservoir of the subtle energy and consciousness flows as realization in the physical body. It is mm -hmm. the main interface. It is the main bridge. It is the main connector. It is the main calibrator. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing to think about it, that it's the bridge. It's the junction point is what I read also, is that it's sort of that junction between the physical and the subtle or the physical and the energetic almost. So let's stop for one point before we, we start going into Marma. I'd love to ask the question because I have a feeling many people are wondering, what is the difference then between Marma therapy and acupuncture? Because many people are you know, more familiar with acupuncture. So how do you describe the difference or similarity between those two therapies? That's a very interesting and valuable question. So acupuncture is one of the modalities of marma therapy. There are many ways to transform the knowledge and know to, uh, to transform the understanding of marma into therapy, into healing. At times it is done through pressure, at times it is done through puncture, at times it is done through application of herbs, at times it is done merely through meditation, at times it is done through concentration. So there are many ways to work on a marma point. That is point number one. Mm -hmm. And one of those methods is acupuncture. What's the difference? The difference is in the scope. When we think of something just as therapy, we are only trying to bring a, bring a balance. Our focus is just to regain homeostasis for allostasis, 
right, for thinking about, uh, for coming to a point of balance where the body's intelligence can discern how much do I need to eat? How much do I need to uh, sleep? How much do I need to work so that I have enough energy for future allostasis to allocate the resources? That is therapy. But the scope of marma is, it is more than therapy. Its scope is consciousness. Its scope is self-realization. Its scope is not everything can be healed through therapy. And what if something cannot be healed? Does that make us incomplete? At times, you know, when we focus on just healing and just therapy, we forget that we are more than physical body. And as mentioned, the word for human being is prani, beings of energy, beings of prana. That is our core. And that energy can transform into physical and become the body, or we can take the other route and go into consciousness. And that is the scope of marma, that it provides us a channel, a gateway, a path to the real self with capital S. So that is the slight difference when we start viewing it as something which gives us the view and access to consciousness, not just therapy. Mm. So it is it is great. I acupuncture is great. I've personally received so many benefits from it. There is no denial about uh, the therapeutic power of acupuncture. But the point, and it is a you know, I'm playing <laughs> with the word here. Yeah. <laughs> the point is don't miss the point. When you are in that healing session, don't just take that minimal benefit that I'm feeling better now. What is the source of this betterness? What has it triggered that has unleashed the flow of energy? And this same energy can be transformed into consciousness, can make us, can make me meet my consciousness. So this is where I would see similarity and difference. Don't make it just another therapeutic tool. It has a bigger power potential end goal. Mm -hmm. It's so much more than the physical that you might experience in any, in, in either therapy in Marma or in acupuncture, but yes, in acupuncture, there is very much a focus on what is the, the benefit that I can feel in my body or in my mind therapeutically from that treatment versus what I think you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're saying that with Marma, it's so much more than that. It is the ability to go into your consciousness and to alter or maybe benefit the consciousness. To realize the consciousness. To realize. Is, yes. We, we cannot change the consciousness. The consciousness simply is we can just wake up to it. We cannot wake up the consciousness. We can wake up to it because mm. it is never existing. When mm -hmm. we say uh, waking up consciousness or transforming consciousness, no, nothing happens to consciousness. We are awakened to it. Mm. And that is, that, that is a difference. And yes, absolutely. It is the way I look at it or the way I see it is, it is just a side effect of marma, marma knowledge of marma, that it can bring your body also into balance. But it is not the, uh, it is a very limited scope of it. Does not mean I'm discounting the therapeutic power of it. What I'm saying is 
there is more keep moving keep don't settle for less it is it is promising you that state of awareness that state of discernment don't settle just with pain relief don't settle just because i can sleep better it is great it's wonderful but now that you are even more embodied even more empowered with healing what are you going to do with this state that you experience move on keep moving don't settle for less okay so let's make this a little bit more practical in the sense of it's, it's very theoretical and, and I understand what you're saying, but let's also make it a little more practical. Let's just say I'm coming in for a Marma therapy session. What, what happens at a therapy session and what should I expect? You know, sort of like, what am I supposed to do with that information that after I have a therapy session with you, if it is not the goal to just focus on the immediate pain relief or better sleep or what have you, those are all great effects, as you said, but Let's talk a little more specifically. I think the tool that is utilized to benefit what is the immediate goal of the person changes from person to person. So marma therapy is not a specific kind where someone lies down and someone touches certain points, although it could be one of the ways. But someone with the knowledge of marma can introduce that marma therapy to you through asanas. So the benefit could be that now you have more strength, more core strength, more muscular strength. The benefit could be that now you have more flexibility, the kind of flexibility, not just flexibility because the kind of flexibility that gives a better range of motion for you. So that becomes the access point and immediate benefit. But what is the other side of it is that you realize that, oh, that healing came from my own body. Just I knew this movement. But now I know this movement a little bit differently, which means that how I move matters or where I focus matters. So now I did not just learn about an asana or an asana that everyone is kind of trying to do in the same way, but I learned about something powerful in my own body. So what it's doing is it's reducing dependency. And maybe temporarily, I'm shifting dependency, and now the dependency is asan. So I feel that with time, uh, I feel that someone, a therapist who has the understanding and realization of the scope, uh, will try to keep in mind not to create dependency and share with someone who is participating that, hey, now you received this benefit by moving the body. Now, you know that you can also save this energy and receive the same benefit lying down on your back and simply concentrating on this point and simply remembering a mantra, a sound. Oh, even that may be a little bit more utilization of concentration and thought power and slowly saying, sharing that, oh, you can also do this simply by becoming aware and focusing And as you focus, instead of using the sound, use the breath. So what I'm trying to say is that you get different access point, but the core remains the same, that you feel empowered, that you come to know so much more about your body. And over a period of time with this realization, there is that knowledge and that is empowerment that you you learn that the source of healing came from within. 
And the therapist is just a facilitator, just a point, someone who is pointing, but you don't get attached to that finger. You don't get attached to that tool. So there is, so the other benefit of it is knowing about yourself, that what else is there in the body except for muscles and joints and hinges and skin and internal organs that beneath all of this is an energy framework. And knowing that energy framework unleashes the power of medicine from within, healing from within, but more than that, realization. Yeah. And so I think what you're saying is that, you know, this is an energy network, right? There's 117 Marma points. Am I wrong? (laughs) No, you it's not it's not wrong. It depends upon which text you are picking. It could be 107, 107 plus 1 and it could be 1008. So it depends upon 300 plus. It depends upon which text you pick, but the common consensus or the classical number is considered as 108. Okay, 108. So there are these marma points that are connected by the nadis, right? And so it is in a whole energy system. And what you're saying is that all of these different tools, right? Whether it's meditation or asana or breath or mudra or mantra, any of these techniques, practices, tools, you can access those marma points and make a shift in the energy body, in the energy system, which then leads to realization of consciousness. Am I sort of summarizing a little bit of what you mean? Yes, 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 absolutely. That through the awareness of this network, Mm -hmm. through these points, the word murma itself means sensitive, which means it automatically draws your attention towards that point. If you simply become aware of your body, automatically the attention will rest on one or the other of the murma point. And a simple way for those who may not know about it, oh my God, where are these 108? Because when we say the number, naturally the curiosity is eyes, where are they? And then what are their names? The simple way, my dear listeners, is to just know they are the center and they are the ends. Wherever there is a center, there is a marma point, the center of the point, the center of the palm. Wherever there is an end, the end of the palm, which means where it joins the wrist, the end of the forearm, where it joins the elbow, the center between the forearm and the elbow, the center between the elbow and the shoulder. Wherever there is a center, there is a marma point. Wherever there is a joint and transition, there is a marma point. Okay. So it's an easy, so it means they are at a point where the energy is shifting, transforming and becoming something else. So yes, it is an energetic framework. And it has minor marma points, which control more basic, minor, everyday functioning of the body, which are in the periphery. And then there are major marma points, which are in the center, in the midline. And they control the major functions like digestion, excretion, reproductive system, circulatory system, uh, cognition, sensory, sensory motor, sensory function. So the, the main marma points which are in the center are related to main functions. The main, the peripheral marma points are more related to motor functions and uh, activities of daily living. So yes, the knowledge of marma point can make your everyday life richer because it affects 
your it can benefit your digestion it can benefit your sleep it can benefit your energy levels it can benefit your concentration and the tools and the methods are many uh, but the point is one and there is no precise point right to two fingers above two fingers below it is individual and mm -hmm. what is that individual wherever you feel is the center wherever you feel is the end mm. And so it's, it's this idea that when you can understand that you are an energy being, you know, getting back to this idea as, of energy as medicine is that we are all energy beings, right? It's almost like there is an energy body upon which the physical body has been created. It's the blueprint in a way. And when you understand that you are an energy being, this being of prana, as you said, it opens up the way that you can look at healing, right? Because it, it becomes so much more than a medication or a surgery or, you know, all of the things of Western medicine, which are very useful. And at the same time, it empowers you as a human being to take some of that healing into your own hands, because you can access the energy that has created you or that you are created of in a way. Yes, absolutely. I would just like to add one point, Avanti, which can sometimes mm -hmm. become confusion. Yes. Some of the listeners who are listening may be from the background of yoga. And they might be, and listeners, you might be aware of the term koshas, sheets, veils, the physical sheath, the energy shield, sheath, the um, mental sheath, the intellectual sheath, and the bliss sheath. When I am saying that the, the human beings are beings of prana or energetic beings, I'm not talking about pranamaya kosha. So don't confuse it that prana equal to pranamaya kosha. What I'm talking about is the root electricity, the main electricity, which is even behind the fifth sheath. Mm -hmm. The bliss sheet. That is the energy of consciousness. That energy of consciousness becomes waves of bliss. Those waves are that prana. Those waves, I'm talking about the basic, primary, innate prana. The word prana, which simply is translated into energy, is made up of two parts, pra and ana. The, the first part, prefix pra, means primary, just like the word Primary, the pra means primary, innate, basic, foundational. And ana, A-N-A, -A, comes from this term, anu, A-N-U, which means atom. The first atom, the primary unit of energy, the basic unit of energy, the foundational unit of energy, the foremost unit of energy, and the tiniest. Anu means the tiniest unit of energy, the subatomic particle. So that first unit of energy that is that created the mind, the body, the breath. We're talking about that prana, not just breath. We're talking about that prana, not just pranamaya kosha. So don't confuse it with that. If mm -hmm. we think of koshas, this will be the heart of even deeper than the anandamaya kosha, that is the bliss sheath. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now it's important because uh, it, it does get confusing because we can, we can talk about prana at these different levels and 
it sounds the same, but it's not the same as what you're trying to say, right? And so what we're talking about is this energy system within the body that is beneath or even further down from the other layers or the koshas, as we call them in, in yoga. And so it's another system. Yes. And, you know, sometimes this question comes to mind. So what, what happens to these networks? Why does someone become uncomfortable with the body? And why is there disease? Is there disharmony? This network of channels, you know, in Tantra, in yoga and in Ayurveda, it is understood that there are two kinds of energy, sound and light. There are there's two kinds of energy, sound and light. One is form, uh, which is light, and one is the sound energy. This energy slowly starts getting clogged and blocked because of two things. One is as much as we are energetic beings, we are also emotional beings. Mm-hmm. We are being of emotions. Another word for human being is manav, which comes from manas which comes from mind, but here it means sensory motor mind, which gives birth to different feelings, emotions, and moods, and sentiments. On an everyday basis, how many emotions do we go through? We cannot even count. Not just that we go through these emotions, how many facial expressions do we make as we go through all these emotions? And how many times we actually get the opportunity to express them and deal with them? And how many times do we repress them, suppress them, hide them, and even forget about them? Mm-hmm. The ones that we suppress, repress these unresolved emotions, they create tension. In Ayurveda, it is called that there is a channel that weaves the entire body and mind, which is called Manovahasrotas, channels of mind, which means how the emotions flow through the body, through the tissues, through the organs, and so on and so forth. There is this entire framework, how this energy of mind and emotions flow. When we suppress, repress, and hold on to those emotions, unresolved emotions, it creates blockage. When we hold on to our breath, as many times uh, we feel these emotions or we don't allow the time to feel these emotions, when we go through different thought waves, and different thoughts and ideas and uh, experiences of overwhelm and happiness and sadness or accomplishment and failure, something changes in our breath. So the second thing that disturbs the prana, the main energy, is the breath. So one is emotion, one is breath. And so many times we don't even realize we hold our breath. Mm -hmm. And so many times we don't even realize our breath becomes rapid and shallow. And that has a physiological response and reaction. And also it interacts with the psychological response and reactions. So these two weaves, one of breath, one of breath and of emotions, one of sound and one of light. These are the ones when they flow freely, the channels of prana allow the free flow of electricity. So be aware of your breath. Pay attention maybe few times in a day. Maybe we cannot pay attention to our breath throughout the day. But how about two times in a day, consciously for two minutes, even out your breath. Just even out. And even though I'm just 44, I like to give retro examples. You know, there used to be a time when you used to shine the, the nose of the shoe using a piece of cloth back and forth. And that used to make the, show, the shoe shine. This 
left nostril and right nostril breathing, which is called anulom vilom in yoga. It is like that. Shine your prana. Go back and forth, back and forth. And even if that feels a little bit uh, challenging, difficult, simply become aware of your breath and even out your inhale, exhale. Three is to three, four is to four, whatever is a comfortable number. And stay with that rhythm for two minutes, two times a day. That's not a lot, but what you're doing is you are changing the rhythm, shifting the rhythm to harmony. You're giving it the breath medicine. And just two times a day, right upon waking up and right before going to bed, may there be the invocation of just one emotion, peace. Not happiness, that is a high. Mm -hmm. It will hit the low. Just peace. So you, what you're doing is you're calibrating the emotion and you're calibrating the breath. So you're clearing up the debris of the unmetabolized, even if that is not a word, you know, emotions and thoughts and breath. You're doing something to clear that, clear those channels so that the pranic electricity, that is discernment, intelligence, flows freely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are two beautiful practices. And what you're saying is that the breath and the emotions have a significant effect on either allowing the energy in the energy body, in the the pranic system, in the nadis, in the marma points to either flow freely or to become blocked and stagnant in a way. And that by regulating, by doing these things to calibrate your breath and your, your emotions through these two simple practices that you just described, you can help with the, the continuous flow of the prana. And here is the suggestion. Do it just for seven days. My dear listeners, whenever you're going to listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. just do it for seven days and observe how is it affecting your energy, your mood, your sleep, your digestion. How is it affecting, supporting the, your decision-making? How is it supporting your relationships? If it is not supporting, don't do it. Don't waste your time. Move on. <laughs> but at least give it an honest try. And also, a, we are still talking about marma points here. The thing is, we're talking about the marma point of the macrocosmic cycle, day and night, which is dawn and dusk. So that is why I suggested morning and evening. So you're still tapping into the wisdom of Murma. Wherever there is transition, whether at the macrocosmic level or in the body, that is Murma. Murma are the transition points. You're tapping into that point. And that there is always a communication between the body, the individual body and the macrocosmic body. And when we iron out that communication and smoothen it, that is what is a healthy circadian rhythm. That is what is a healthy body a healthy mind. So we are still, I just want to bring in that we are still tapping into the wisdom of Marma point, that Marma point of the breath, even out, inhale, exhale. At the end of inhale, at the end of exhale, there are two Marma point of prana. At the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, there are two Marma point of the macrocosm. You're tapping simply into that. That's amazing. Wow. Whew, I have to take that in for a minute. I mean, that's quite literally when we talk about harmonizing with nature, that is quite literally what you're talking about is harmonizing our energetic being with the energy of the macrocosm in this way, 
by looking at these transition points throughout the day, day to night, just that's one simple way to look at it and harmonizing our own energy with that energy through these practices. And that is the Marma point. That is so beautiful and so incredibly profound. And I want to keep talking to you. (laughs) We were already over our time, but, you know, let me ask you this. And so what do you feel is the role of Marma, of the understanding of Marma for health and longevity? What is the medicine in Marma? The medicine is knowledge. When you know about something, only then you can explore the body that is the body, human body, but also the body of the universe through a different light. So what is its contribution? I think the contribution is you will start seeing marma everywhere. The marma of the speech is mantras. Hmm. Then we learn how the different syllables, when you unite them in a certain way, it unleashes the power of sound and silence. You start seeing that, oh, my plants at this particular spot are growing really well and are nurtured. You tapped into the marma of the geography. You tapped into the marma of the sunlight, meeting the water, meeting the air energy, the circulation. You will start seeing marma everywhere. Oh, in this particular corner of the room, there is always accumulation of dust. That marma is locked, blocked. You will start seeing it everywhere. And then you will think of flow. You will think of how to create harmony. Mm-hmm. That is its contribution. And everyone has a different concept and understanding of longevity. For me, longevity is not about living 100 plus years. It's about living a mindful life, even if it is for few years. So I would say the gift of this is awareness, which you can say in modern science, you can connect it to as interoception, being aware of your body, being aware of its physiological internal processes. And when you know that, when you are able to connect to it, you're able to take such simple everyday decisions, how much should I eat better? because you're connected to your body signals. You're able to connect to that, oh, I'm really feeling the sleep pressure. I should go to sleep. So it will start affecting your everyday decisions. Mm-hmm. And you will allow for the flow. Yeah, that's beautiful. I have just one last question for you. You know, the, the name of this podcast is The Healing Catalyst. And so if I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? To catalyze healing, stay curious. This is our superpower, human being superpower. If we were not curious, we would have not invented anything. We are where we are because of the gift of curiosity. Thank you, Indu. It has been such a pleasure having you on my podcast. And I have learned so much during this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. My pleasure, Avanti, and my best wishes to the podcast. I know you're doing some amazing work. May you keep doing it and may the listeners benefit. May every single minute they pour into listening, it may be of benefit to them. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, 
please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.